Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. We welcome you, all of us, back for our Sunday services here at BPJ Centre, and I trust that through the social media channels and also from your district pastors, you've already heard the good and great news that come 10th of April, meaning Palm Sunday, as we gather for worship, we will not see all this zoning anymore, there's no more safe distancing, and then we're going to expect more and more people coming to join us to worship the Lord together. Can we say yay? Wonderful, and, and I trust that beyond just more of God's people on the Palm Sunday, as we welcome not just one another, as we welcome Jesus, there'll be more of God's presence. Amen. Yeah. In the meantime, we want to invite you to let your CGs and let your friends know so that we can uh, gather together. And the good news also, you don't need tickets anymore. Don't have to Sunday two o'clock and then try and wait for the computer and then the site to come up. Okay. So all that we are doing away for this uh, season. Uh, praise God for that, and we look forward to having more of us back. Now, meantime, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue our series. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This year, as we prepare as a people to meet King Jesus, because time is short, we are in the end times, the final seconds and minutes of world history. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians is the book we will anchor our journey upon to become more prepared to meet King Jesus. So here we are, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 13. Verse 13. There was a group of tourists who were in Africa enjoying the safari and, and so captivated by the wildlife they saw. And as they retired for the night, they were a bit jittery about spending the night in darkness out in the open with the wild animals. So they asked the tour guide, how do we keep the wild animals away if they come? And the tour guide said, oh, very easy. You just carry a lighted porch. So the tourist said, does that work? And the tour guide says, well, it depends. What, what do you mean, it depends? Well, it depends on how fast you run when you're carrying it. We believe that the Word of God works. Not as a charm to ward off evil, but to do something in us, among us, as the people of God. When we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, here was Paul and Silas and Timothy, the missionary trio, describing something about the Word of God that began the spiritual journey of these young Christians. Verse 13, chapter 2, this is what Paul, the apostle, and the team wrote. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So here were they, uh, this missionary trio, recounting the time when the Thessalonian Christians first received the message of God from them. This was in Acts chapter 17, when Paul Silas landed on 
Thessalonians Saul, they went to the synagogue and on the day of the Sabbath, they opened the scriptures, the Old Testament, to show that the Messiah you've been waiting for to save our nation and to save us from sin is already here. He has already come. His name is Jesus and he saves you, saves me from our sins. And when the Thessalonian Christians placed their faith in Christ for the very first time under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, their life was never the same again. But notice now how Paul and Silas and Timothy describe the work of the Word of God. Verse 13, the Word of God, last line, which is at work. In other words, it was not just at work to begin the faith of these Thessalonian Christians, it was still at work while they were writing the letter. The idea at work here in the Greek energetai it is where we get the word energize. Now, pardon the poor analogy, it is like a handphone charger that powers us up and powers us on in our Christian faith, in our walk with God from one stage to another. Now, for us today as disciples of Jesus, how do we know that God's Word is constantly at work in us, not just when we came to Christ and got converted that first instance when the Word of God came, now, I want to suggest from the passage today, verses 13 to 16, there are at least two ways we know that God's Word is still working in us. Now, it's activating something in us by the work of the Spirit combined with faith so that we move from one degree of faith to another. Now, here are the two ways. The first, we know that God's Word is at work in us when we experience deep change. When we experience deep change. Verse 13 again, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. Now, this was not the first time Paul, Silas, and Timothy were talking about the way they received, they accepted the word of God. It is almost a repeat of the opening of the letter in chapter 1. So if you run your Bible up or your screen up to chapter 1, verse 6, here was how Paul, Silas, and Timothy described the way they received it. Verse 6, chapter 1. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Much affliction. What happened? Now, if we follow the story that began in Acts chapter 17, after they came to faith, what happened was that there were Jews in the synagogue, found out they got converted to become Christians, and Acts 17 says that they were jealous. Now, the word jealous there is a mild translation. It is literally boiling. Or in the words of young people, they got salty. They were hopping mad because now they're no longer part of the official establishment. Paul and Silas have come to rock the boat. We've got to stop this. We've got to make sure that this doesn't spread not only to fellow Jews but also to the Gentiles. So what did they do? They connived a plot and ambushed all these young Christians. They were in some closed door somewhere. So we can imagine they were maybe having CG and they were saying, singing, I could sing of your love forever. They were, they were just experiencing their new life in God and suddenly, pam, 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 pam. The door bangs non-stop. There's this commotion of a mob outside the door and they got startled what's going on. Before they can figure out, suddenly the door comes loose. This mob charges in and asks, where is Paul and Silas? Where is Paul and Silas? 
And before they could even answer, because Paul and Silas were not there, maybe they were joining live stream, they were not there, so they were like, I don't know how to answer, and so they got dragged, pulled by the collar, dragged on the streets, in, in, in the full face of the public, brought to the governor's office and accused that now these people, these Christians, it is a renegade sect. They are now pledging allegiance, loyalty to a new king called Jesus. They are no longer loyal to the emperor, the Roman emperor. And in those days, if you are guilty of that charge, your head literally rolls. So can you imagine now how they started their faith with a bang? Unforgettable. Going through this kind of trauma, vulnerable because their mother hand, Paul and Silas, were not around to speak up. And after the experience, they could have said, ah, Swala. Translated means forget it. Lah. What kind of faith is this? No. I, I believe in Jesus and this kind of rubbish happens to me. Not worth it. But verse 6 says that they received the word in their affliction with joy. Do you realize how unreal, insane this is when God's word is real in their hearts? Now, how did they express that joy? First Thessalonians itself doesn't tell us, obviously. But if we follow the story now, you, you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here was Paul years later describing the churches in Macedonia and uh, Thessalonica is, is in that region. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is on the screen. So can I invite you to read this with me together? Ready? One, two, go. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is crazy. Here were the young Thessalonian Christians having the shorter end of the stick in every way. Socially, they were being snubbed, intimidated by fellow Jews, threatened. Politically, they were under the watchful eye now of the authorities, such that if found, if persecuted, they can be made to stop their businesses, they can be made to lose their properties. And then here we have financially, their bank account is dry. And here they were not giving grudgingly, but begging to be part of the giving exercise. Unreal. But when God's Word, enabled by the Holy Spirit, does something that deep in our soul, it becomes, quote-unquote, the normal Christian life where the deep change is here to stay. Some years ago, Pastor Barney was here. That was the period of time we were having our ex-center fundraising journey. And after service, a gentleman came up to him limping, perspiring, smiling from ear to ear, and giving him a stack of $50 notes rolled up with rubber band, or tied up with rubber band. And the story behind it was this brother walked from cashew area, 
and went to different ATMs while limping, while perspiring so that he could draw enough money worth thousands of dollars, came to Pastor Barney and said, this is for the X Center Building Fund. And to top it off, he was retrenched for two years. And so Pastor Barney was shell-shocked and, and he said, why, why do you want to give when you've got no stable income? And his reply was that because God let me and money I can earn back. God let me. Money I can earn back. And I know for, for some of us, it may not just be finances you're giving to the Lord because something deep has happened in you. I, I know for some of us, it could be the time and the energy you give to serve to the Lord, be it on Sunday morning or wherever the Lord sends you. I, I share this with permission from Covenanters. They posted it on Facebook anyway. And this is what one of them said, this Kai Xian from our East Centre. And he was posting on Facebook to say, such a joy to see the commitment of CG members stepping up to serve the church and even with their children. This is our second week of SST or Sunday service team led by Hostmaster. And then the Hostmaster, Chris Christopher, replies, it's our joy, notice, and privilege to serve. And I know some covenanters, you do this even though flat out for the rest of the week, but it's a joy to serve the Lord. And when I see people serving, I, when I say thank you for serving the Lord, they say, no, thank you. I mean, I, I see senior high-power executive traffic marshalling happy. Something deep and real has happened in us. Another covenanter shared this about her husband serving in the worship team, that hubby walked the talk by waking up 5 plus a.m., served worship for three services straight, proud that he maintained his composure and joy, notice again, even after a really heavy and demanding week, and he was still saying, yet not I, but through Christ in me. So proud of your posture. Can we give a big hand to all these covenanters who are just inspiring us to not just serve, but to serve the Lord with joy? Something deep has happened. The joy of the Thessalonian Christians is not the rah-rah, motivational, hyped-up kind of emotion. It's something that runs so deep in their soul that they're unfazed by their circumstances, at least not for long. There was a Navy that was testing out a, a new submarine they purchased, and therefore they sent out the captain and the crew out to, to, to test the seaworthiness of the vessel. And after they came back from the night, the commander of the Navy asked the captain, how did you guys survive the storm last night? And the captain was like, what storm? Because the sub or the submarine was so far down the depths of the sea, apparently it's called the cushion of the sea, that they didn't even feel the water stirring on top. When God's word works like that in our soul, combined with faith and the work of the Holy Spirit, it is quite like that. Where the, the joy is real, it is deep, the peace that you feel in the midst of circumstances that change and there's no more certainty, the only constant is change in this life. And how, I'm just curious, how many of us, you want to experience that kind of change as the normal Christian life, deep change? Can I see your hands? You want to experience it as the normal Christian life? Yeah, quite a few of us. Here's my suggestion to us, if so. Be open to receive God's word to you, to me, through whoever God chooses to use. Yeah. 
Be open to receive God's word to you, to me, through whoever God chooses to use, even through those who are not so eloquent, not so anointed. When Paul was teaching or preaching in Thessalonica, we have this idea that while Paul was very anointed, his delivery was smooth, he was polished. But Acts tells us a different story. Acts tells us he was simply explaining, proving the scriptures. It was not the rah-rah hype, the motivational talk type. And in fact, he was so unpolished, so to speak, that when he was speaking at Troas, a young man was listening to him and fell asleep and fell over the window. The people in Corinth, those who don't like him, even claim that he's so unpolished in appearance and delivery, he wouldn't have made it to the Toastmasters club or the school debating team. But here was Paul simply giving the word of God as it is. And when the Thessalonian Christians received the word, not as words of men, Paul and Silas, but as the word of God, something happened in them. I have a confession. By nature, I am more inclined to hear certain preachers and teachers. I know it doesn't apply to you, it only applies to me. I can't tell you who they are. But I'm sure you have your own favourite, correct or not? Now, just by nature, by personality, that's inevitable. But if we are not careful, we decide, for example, whether to come online or on-site, depending on who's speaking. Or if we are more closed to hear certain speakers or certain Bible teachers, what we risk and end up doing perhaps is instead of being worshippers and learners of the word, we unknowingly end up being consumers. Our heart slowly hardens without realizing it. Be open and willing to receive the word of God through whoever God uses. Here's the second way we know God's word is at work in us. Besides experiencing change, here's the second. We endure gospel hardship. We endure gospel hardship. Verse 14 now, verse 14, chapter 2. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus, they are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. So here was Paul recounting the time again of the trauma they experienced in Acts 17 when initially they became Christians, that this was happening to them. And in essence, Paul was basically telling to them, you have joined the club. Not the country club or the health club, but the hardship club. Because those who were before you had the same experience. You think of the early church in Jerusalem, in the region of Judea where Apostle Peter and John, Acts chapter 3 and 4, they had to appear before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They were locked up in jail overnight. And then before the Jewish council, they were threatened and they were told that stop preaching in Jesus' name or else. Acts chapter 7, where Stephen, one of the early church leaders, didn't just have words thrown at him. Stones were pelted until God called him home. 
And ever since then, scores of men and women we see in Acts were searched out, pursued, dragged out of their house and thrown into prison while waiting to be accused of worshipping another god. And the irony, the chief persecutor of all was the one writing 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul himself. But the chief persecutor became the chief persecuted. Where every city he went to, be it Thessalonica, even as he was driven out of Thessalonica, what the poor Thessalonians had to do was to even pay money to the governor to appease them, to say that this will not happen again. They were driven out. And then when he went to Berea, 72 kilometers away, this group of Jews followed, pursued him, created the same problems and and created the same trouble for for them. Almost every city he went. And here was the irony that according to majority scholars, they believed that Paul was writing this letter in Corinth where he had an 18-month stay and the persecution or the opposition was still ongoing while he was writing it. If you come with me to Acts chapter 18, Acts 18, verse 5, Verse 5, Acts 18, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, which is where Thessalonica is, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God. But notice verse 12 now. But when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, where Corinth is, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Over and over and over again, non-stop. But that was proof. That was the litmus test for Paul that the word of God was working in his soul. The gospel has taken root and that faith is real. Enduring gospel hardship. Now, some of us are wondering, uh, Pastor Emma, how does this work in Singapore? Because we have religious racial harmony, right? It's one of our bedrocks in society. We are given the freedom to propagate our faith. We live now in a culture that people get cancelled. And if, because of our convictions, we were to make our stand, express our views, especially when it comes to hot-button issues like sexuality and gender identity, be prepared, the pushback will come. Last Friday, the CGs from our three centres gathered together for a digital outreach uh, training session uh, with uh, Isaac Teo, our guest speaker. Isaac is a, is a social media influencer, godly brother, and this is what he discovered after years of trying to influence and reach out to people online. 
no matter how well you craft your message, how nice you put it, with the best of intentions, sure have, uh, somewhere along the way, someone will have some negative, nasty, unpleasant comment. Sure one. And that's not just the online world today, that's the fallen world today. For some of us, it may not be making a stand it could be that when you follow God's leading for your life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's call, it may mean switching career, taking a pay cut, working longer hours. For some of us, you, you feel a season where God is leading you to, to put your energy and your time into caring for elderly in your family. It can get exhausting where you don't have an off day. Enduring gospel hardship is real. But that's the litmus test. That's an indicator that the gospel has become real in our soul. 12 plus years ago, when Sue and I were preparing to get married, one of the non-negotiables we, we said, we decided, is that because she came from another church, we said that we will serve together in the same church. Non-negotiable. The question, therefore, is which church should we go? Should we come to covenant together or should I go to our previous church together? Now, truth be told, it was easier for us to be in her previous church. Her immediate family is there, extended family is there, childhood friends are there she grew up with. I was only about two, three years in covenant, so my, my roots were not so deep yet. Plus, it is a big plus, huh? the church was one bus stop away from our house. Talk about convenient. And if I work in the church office, if they want me, the church office was one block away from my block. I just crossed the car park. But because we believe, after praying, seeking the Lord together, talking, we believe God has called us here. For the past 12 years, we've been shuttling from Haokang to Woodlands, Haokang to Woodlands, 12 plus years, and now Haokang to BBJ. Following God will cause us somehow, somewhere, for the sake of the gospel. There was once a, a vendor called me on the phone, and this was a caterer for one of our church events. And you know Covenant EFC, Covenant Evangelical Free Church, not very easy to pronounce, right? So I picked up the phone and she said, Hello, is this convenient church? <laughs> I don't blame her. But following God is not convenient. It will cost us somehow, somewhere. Yours may be different, but all of us will have our cross to bear. My pastoral counsellor said this to me when I was coming to Covenant, and some of us may find this crude, uh, pardon the term, but this almost word for word what he said. He said, if this is God's will for your life, you follow God's will and you pick up the crap along the way. Pardon the term, but there will be crap along the way to pick up. Enduring gospel hardship. We are in Lent season, where we remember and as we journey with Jesus to the cross, we remember the quote-unquote founder of our religion, the Lord Jesus himself, who underwent severe extreme hardship for our sake to be saved. Be it being scourged, mocked, rejected, abandoned, tortured on the cross. And this Lent season, we can say on one hand that oh, we endure gospel hardship as our gift to God. Can I suggest we think of it differently? What if, instead of just saying we endure this as a gift to God, what if 
we embrace this as God's gift to us. We embrace this as God's gift to us as training ground to do something very deep in our soul so that by God's help, our faith shines and it shines for the world and others to see. I want to believe that as we do that, God will do what He needs to do to honour Himself. You, you come back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, looking at verse 16, the very last line of verse 16 now. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Has come. It's, it's stated in the complete or past tense. Now, some Bible experts are asking the question, how come has come when the final judgment full on has not come yet? I am of the opinion that just as God's word planted in us, got activated and set us in motion in our spiritual life. When God saw that the rebellion of the Jews, they thought they were doing God a favour. When the rebellion of the Jews hit sky high and hits the limit, the judgment of God is already set in motion. Years later in AD 70, historian Josephus records the fall of Jerusalem where under Roman siege, the walls crumbled, the temple was burned. 1.1 million people died, perished, most of them Jewish. But God withholds the full-on mercy so that the gospel advances even through our hardship so that more and more can come and be saved and enter the kingdom. Let me close with this final story about Ukraine. So it gives us a picture of how real the gospel is for them. Most of us are, in fact, all of us are aware of the, the, the major happening there. And scores of refugees have been fleeing the country. We're talking about millions of them. To neighboring countries like Poland, Romania, Moldova. But here's what Salt and Light, uh, an online Christian article reported, based on their interviews and the testimonies of the locals there, what's happening to the church there. The pastors in Ukraine are not coming to Poland. They are not fleeing. They are staying to pray, to help. They are helping kids with no families, no parents. Those who volunteer to drive the supplies from Romania to Ukraine, to the border, risk their lives with every trip. A pastoral couple have been travelling from their home in Bucharest, Romania, to rescue refugees fleeing from the war. They would drive to the border. Just a one-way trip is a six-hour drive. On icy roads uh, during their winter, which is happening, nine hours, one way. They had to drive through snowstorm, didn't get back till 4 a.m. The refugees were in need of shelter, food, medicine, mattresses, pillows, blankets, warm clothes, you name it, everything to survive. This is when churches became refugee shelters, where the church and basically Christians, disciples of Jesus, opened up their hearts, opened up their churches to say, we welcome you, whether you're Christian or not. We are here to help. The volunteers have not slept for days. According to this pastoral couple, God has been protecting the drivers. Supplies have successfully been transported across the border. Ukrainian churches are also seeing an upsurge in attendance. A pastor from Poland who's helping 340 families said this, that they are going to church to pray, not just in the closed doors, but even on the grounds in winter. 
Some are open to the gospel. Some are accepting Jesus. People are thinking over the situation, their lives, their beliefs. God is opening the eyes of so many people now. People are doing more good things for the Ukrainian refugees not just caring for themselves. I have seen the changes. And these refugees are believing in God and praying because they found shelter and people are helping them. And so in light reported as of last week that three women accepted the Lord in Bucharest in Romania. More received Bibles all over Romania. On March 19, one woman got baptized in Moldova and that triggered a couple of locals there to get baptized after the service. My friends, this is church. This is how real the gospel can be for such a time as this. Let's be that kind of church where the change is so deep and so real, like the church in Ukraine or neighboring countries, they would rather stay and out of love and compassion help all those who are in need. So that through that, as we ourselves undergo that hardship, people see that there is a gospel, there is a God who is real, who is with them. And this is what exactly the watching and the waiting world needs. I'm going to invite us to come before the Lord right now in prayer as we bow our hearts before Him. And in a few moments' time in this season of Lent, we're going to look to the Lord once more. The one who endured, suffered that hardship so that we can be saved before the coming wrath. And as we do so right now, as we bow our hearts before the Lord, I want to give us a moment. What is God saying to you, my friend? That one word, that one phrase, that one sentence that has become God's word to you. Let it sink into your soul, into your spirit. And I give you some time now to respond to Him on your own in prayer before we join this song together and then we're going to respond to the Lord together.
invite us just to pause now before the Lord in prayer. I want to give us a an invitation as we bow our hearts before God this morning. I want, I want to invite those of us who, you may be a first-time guest, you may have come a few times before, but you know you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You have never placed your faith in Him. And today I believe God is speaking to you. Where God's intent and desire is that none should perish. Jesus came, we remember Him during this Lent period, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And if that's you, for the very first time, you'd like to open up your heart to Him. To say, Lord, I welcome you into my life for the very first time to save me, to do a very deep change in my heart. Change that's real and here to stay until I see you again. I'm going to pray a simple, short prayer. And if that's you, I want to invite you to follow this with me in your heart out loud. And after that, I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand up high so that I can acknowledge you as you indicate that to me. I'm going to pray with you as you begin this new faith journey with God. And here's how this prayer goes. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross to save me from wrath. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. Your grace changes me from the inside out. I open my heart to receive your word and welcome you as Lord and Savior. Take charge of my life. Let your word energize me that it may bring deep change, long endurance as I follow you till the end. Dear friend, if that's you, I'm going to invite you just right where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I do want to give an opportunity just to indicate that. Can you just put up your hand up high right where you are if there's any in the second service before the rest of the spiritual family responds? Anyone here? Eternal God, our Father, we thank you that every time the scriptures are open, you're doing something in our soul. Therefore, we ask if there's any of our guests and friends here yet to know you, yet to have that fantastic faith adventure of placing their trust in you, let the word planted today continue to bear fruit until the day they call upon you. Church, for the rest of us, here's what I want to invite us to do. I don't know what kind of gospel hardship you have to endure for the sake of our faith. But today, I want to invite us beyond just enduring it as a gift to God, we do so embracing it as a gift from God, believing that God will come through. God will act for His own name through our endurance. And if that's you, can I invite you just to cup your hands like this with me to say, God, today I receive whatever hardship for the sake of the gospel as a gift to tutor my heart, to refine my faith as a witness to a world that this Jesus is real. That's right. That's right, let's pray together. Father God, this Lent season we remember Jesus, the one rejected, ridiculed, spat at, scourged, nailed, tortured at the cross. You have given us our Lord and your word declares that the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places and we receive and embrace this by faith right now as our way of joining Jesus in the way of the cross. We embrace it as your gift and training ground for us to refine our faith so that through it all, O oh Lord, let your word come alive in us and the gospel may shine for all to see. Your word, Lord, we ask, quicken and energize through us those yet to know Jesus and you in turn may save many more from the coming wrath as we await your return. We give you thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
and we say together, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.